Good evening, and welcome to a playoff edition of the JMU Sports Blog Podcast. I'm Todd. I'm joined, as always, by my buddy Rob. What's up, Rob? Hey, how you doing? Uh, doing well. Hopefully, uh, all of JMU Nation is doing well, as the Dukes are the number one seed nationally in the FCS playoffs. We learned on yesterday. Um, Dukes fresh off a 31-3 to victory at Elon to wrap up a second straight perfect season in the CAA and a first time ever 11-0 season for the JMU Dukes. We do know that the 1975 team went 9-0-1. <laughs> but 11-0 is so much better. 9-0-1, that's great. But that that's, I don't know, it's still undefeated. I saw people saying it doesn't count, but it's more like, English Premier League undefeated versus right, right. 11 it's, and 0 football undefeated. Yes. I think that tie was a 0 0 affair as well, maybe. Yeah. But, yeah. It was. <laughs> right. So, um, welcome, everybody. We are, as always, brought to you by Pale Fire Brewing in Harrisonburg, Virginia. You can go by Pale Fire. You can pick up some awesome Deadly Rhythm Pale Ale or some Errant IPA and everything else. I'm sure they have some seasonals coming in right now. So go on in there. You get a free pint glass at the brewery in Harrisonburg. Um, if you mention the JMU Sports Blog podcast, I'm sure that Pale Fire, as well as us, are looking forward to the potential for three, three weeks of home games in December for the Dukes. So we are also thrilled tonight to have, we're going to have a little later in the podcast, we have an interview with Brian McLaughlin from Hero Sports, who, in our humble opinion, is the best FCS national writer in the country and someone oh, who I don't think it's even close. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't think of anybody who's even in his league. Yeah. And, uh, we and he were, was, he was great. We recorded he, earlier. I mean, he really was fantastic. I think everybody will enjoy that. Um, definitely educated us. Uh, we were just talking about it. Like, I, I think he definitely knows his stuff and gave us a very good overview of kind of the, the contenders and the pretenders. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're thrilled to uh, have Brian and he, he really, was great and, and very generous with his time and, and just has been a big supporter of ours and vice versa. So we're thrilled to have him with him with us tonight and think that all JMU fans will enjoy that portion. But we are going to start tonight, like we always do, with four downs from the Elon game. We don't want to get too into the playoffs without overlooking uh, with, with or with overlooking. Yes, with overlooking. Yes. Yeah, we, <laughs> we don't want to overlook um, what was a fantastic game from the Dukes. I think Rob and I both have some positive things to say about the game this weekend. And also, you know, for all the playoffs and everything else, let's, we want to make sure that we stop and appreciate an 11-0 season, a perfect run in the CAA, and, you know, an incredible game this weekend uh, when, uh, with, against another team who had a lot to play for and who also qualified for the playoffs. You know, that, that's a good point because obviously as fans, uh, we've been talking the past couple weeks, the focus is – has been on the playoffs and what Jamie can do to repeat. Um, it was so cool to see how excited the players and coaches were about going undefeated and winning the CAA. That's no small deal to them. I think it's, I don't want to say it's a wake up call for everybody, but it kind of was to me personally. Like it's not a ho-hum thing. It's like, Oh, we want to see you. I was definitely psyched. But when you saw the players like running around with their GoPros and the fantastic video that Jamie put together within oh, yeah. hours of the game ending, um, that was, you know, a lifetime achievement for a lot of these players. For sure. Uh, you know, th- there's more to do, but that was really damn cool. And I hope that I can appreciate it uh, no matter what happens from here on out. I, I agree. And, I, and, you know, we forget, too, there's a lot of players who weren't either weren't here or weren't contributing on a significant level last year and who are now. And it means a ton to them and their families as well. Yeah. So I mean, undefeated is, is amazing. Yeah, undefeated at any level of any sport is something to celebrate and yeah. appreciate in its own right before we get into the playoff talk. As so, our conference championships. Absolutely, yeah. especially in this conference with another yeah. four teams going to the playoffs. So, Rob, what was three your first? Three deserved it. Yeah. Yes, three, yes, at least three of whom deserved it, although we're not going to cry any tears for Danny Rocco. <laughs> no, I actually got it. <laughs> fruit's pretty good. In that it's one. pretty good, yeah. yeah. So, Rob, what did you think about for first down from this game? Well, I mean, we lead off every week with with talking about the defense. I didn't want to go directly to that, but I was very confident going into this game. Uh, no disrespect to Elon, but I just have seen a lot of positives the past couple weeks of, from JMU, mm-hmm. and I really thought things were rounding into form. 
uh, about midway through the first quarter, it was pretty clear to me that Jamie was going to win. I-, I thought the offense would eventually come around and start clicking. You know, there were some a couple of things on that second drive that really was like, okay, this is this is going to open up. Yep. But then it really was – not only did I not think JMU was ever in danger of losing, I didn't think they were going to give up any points. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, And that's just – I felt like a spoiled brat on Christmas morning, like climbing over more and more presents and like, oh, look, I forgot I didn't open up this Xbox or something. Right. We're just so spoiled with fans. And I got a text from Dross right after the game, and he was saying the same thing. He's like – how spoiled are we with where I'm legitimately pissed off after winning 31 to three that we yeah. didn't get the shutout. Yeah. Like, I, it when, was just, it was, Elon's good. Elon's very good, but very good. it did not look very good against JMU. Nope. Um, offense and defense just, just absolutely outplayed the opponent um, all day. Yeah. I, I definitely, when Elon got down there and they set up to kick the field goal, that would be their only points. We, the couple people around me in the stands were definitely saying like, Let's block this kick. Like, yeah. Hopefully they'll like, miss it. Right? Like, even after the turnover, like the interception, the one that kind of sailed away, mm-hmm. I wasn't like, oh man, now they're going to score. I was like, oh, now we got to wait for JMU to score again. You right. know? It was just, right. it was one of those games where they really seemed to be hitting their stride at the right time. Yep. And with that, I guess I'll go for my second down. It was definitely, a, I think we're, it wasn't just the team, it was also the offensive coaching staff, the play calling itself. Uh, yeah, seemed to find some rhythm this week that was really a pleasure to see. I, I know the first series or two didn't work out, but it was great to see them start the game with those two kind of swing passes to the outside, which were really, they're really like long handoffs. Um, yeah. And I think that is some of the things we saw last year that really opened up, starts to spread Elon out and open up the middle a little bit. And it was paid off in spades later on with the kind of rushing performance we haven't seen from this team in a while. And, and it was, it was everybody contributing. I mean, Trey Sharp had a good day. Marcus Marshall was, I mean, he had some aggressive runs where he was dragging tacklers and getting his teammates fired up. And it, it was really a pleasure to watch JMU. And I think they did a lot of that last year, you know, with Ravenel in particular, where they would kind of swing it out quickly and just let their playmakers make plays. And, we haven't seen a ton of that, and that's how they opened the game this week. And it it was really good. It seemed to get the team in a rhythm and, and get the play callers. Yeah, I'm confused. Donnie, on isn't it? Yeah, Donnie Kirkpatrick. Yeah, Donnie. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it, those guys seem to be in rhythm this week. They seem to have a real clear plan. Elon did have an enormous nose tackle. Uh, I think JMU wanted to kind of space that out instead of just trying to pound it up the middle right away. And it really worked well, and it was great to see. It was the kind of variety – we got used to at the end of the year last year and hopefully is a, you know, a good sign of things to come. Yeah. That, that's a good point, Todd. Cause I, I think a lot of people have been saying, Oh, it's vanilla play calling. They're holding stuff back. And I don't think that's true. I don't think they've been holding things back. I think they've just kind of had very distinct game plans based on the opponent. But I think now that, you know, it's crunch time in the playoffs, we're going to see a little bit more, of a dynamic offense, not because they were saving it all for now, just because that's what is called for. Yep. And we've seen that the last two weeks, you know, yep. you saw, like, you made a really good point about just getting the, the ball to guys in space. Yep. Um, Marcus Marshall, I think it has gotten better and better and he runs hard every play. I really like him. Um, I don't think he's put up the yards that a lot of fans thought he would, but I'm really optimistic. And I think he's a very strong, like, I don't know. Can you have role players? in football? <laughs> right, right. right. But he's one yeah. of those guys. Um, I think if you get him the ball in space and he gets some momentum, he can make things happen. Even if it's only three or four, not even big plays, but you know, eight, ten-yard gains a game, mm-hmm. that's really impactful. Big and time. he also seems like the type of guy, like they always talk about, you know, you got to take your first hit or anything. I also think you need to kind of break one. You need to have that successful run if you're a running back or, or a swing pass or something to get going and get some momentum. And I think we're starting to see more of that, uh, certainly the past two weeks. Yeah, and the thing we've, you know, we've been frustrated. Jamie's had a lot of sort of either negative or, you know, zero, you know, no gain or one yard plays. This week we saw them, you know, even fan, even plays where the Elon fans were cheering were plays where Jamie was getting three or four yards. You know, yeah. they were productive runs, um, you know, sort of staying on schedule, keeping the drives moving. It was just good to see. Um, I, I just enjoyed that from the offense for sure. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, was Rob, really what did fun. you think about third down? I'm going to stick with the offense, and the O-line really impressed me. Yeah. I, I thought that was arguably their best game of the season, maybe 
maybe tied with the ECU game. Um, the pass blocking was fantastic. It was. Shore could have like baked a cake back there. Uh, it was <laughs> oh. it was crazy. He had, I mean, no joke, probably like five, six seconds to throw sometimes. Um, they did a great job with the run blocking, uh, both for the running backs and the design runs with, with Shore. Mm-hmm. So it was just one of those things where Elon, again, you know, it sounds like we're being very, I don't know, we're, we're not throwing shade no. at Elon. No, they're a good all. team. No, they were. But they just got handled yep. um, on, on both sides of the line. The offensive line, it was just, it was really fun to see. Um, Shore didn't really take a lot of hits uh, behind the line of scrimmage. Nope. He takes a bit too many yeah. for my liking, if, you know, when he's downfield. Right. Somebody's got to teach that guy to slide. Um, although he doesn't seem like he has it in him. It seems no. like he'd rather no, it's not a lower style. shoulder and right. get an extra six inches than, than take the slide. Trying to win a championship uh, here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I was just, I was really impressed with the offensive line. I was too. And I think it's been overlooked a little bit. I mean, Aaron Stinney, the left tackle, has been banged up a little bit. I don't know if that's an ankle or a foot, but you know, it's been three or four weeks now that he hadn't he looked a lot healthier this week. And yep. it's certainly nice to think about having two more weeks to prepare for the next game. Klusterman has been ill, you know, throughout the season and has been back the last three or four weeks and probably, you know, from what we think, it's the kind of thing you're just gonna get healthier and healthier as a twenty one year old kid. <laughs> And, you know, I I just I think that's the kind of thing that, you know, Houston talked about it last week a little bit, that they were feeling healthy for the first time since the beginning of the season. You know, they've lost some players for the year, but I think there are little nicks and things here and there that most of us as fans don't realize week to week. And they certainly looked you saw a little bit of what they could be at 100 percent this week. And hopefully they'll be even closer to 100 percent in two weeks. So for me, for fourth down, um, I do want to, I sort of, I'm cheating here and doing two because I I do just on the field, special shout out to the special teams. Obviously, Harry O'Kelly was fantastic this week. Again, I mean, his punting has become, it's a huge, huge weapon for JMU and he had three inside the 10. It's almost unfair with a punter who can pin it back (laughs) inside the 10 and then that defense. Oh, it's. It's really it's an embarrassment of riches. It is, and I don't know what he does, but I mean that thing is like a Phil Mickelson lob wedge. Mm-hmm. I mean he is just dropping it in with the backspin. It's just awesome to watch, and uh, and then of course the big play, the biggest play of the game, was extremely reminiscent of some of the biggest plays of JMU's season last year. You, know, you think about the Sam Houston State game, and then obviously the championship game against Youngstown, but the the punt block for the touchdown. I think it was funny. Uh, D'Angelo Amos is wearing, I think, the same number as the player last year who blocked the kick in the championship game. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. It wasn't it. Uh, God, who, I know Evangelista is going to kill us for forgetting this, but it was 24 <laughs> last year and 24 this year um, doing that. And and Houston talked about how they had seen that on film and they thought they had something and they saved it for the point in the game. They thought it was. They had the most leverage to do it, and that's the kind of thing. Again, with the vanilla, you got to think they they're they're watching closely to see what whether it's Stony Brook or Lehigh or Western Illinois or whoever comes down the road. Um, yeah, JMU will be ready to make some big plays on special teams, but I do want to um, briefly. I, I just want to talk about JMU Nation and the fans. I, I, I got a chance to go to the game. It was here in my backyard this weekend. It's incredible what this has become. And like you said, Rob, it was awesome to see the team. They don't, you know, they didn't think this was a ho-hum game. They're winning, no. a, they're winning a trophy, right? Yeah. And it was awesome to see the turnout from JMU fans this weekend. It was incredible. I sat, I got to go with a friend who's an Elon friend and a couple other JMU guys. And we sat on the home side in the first half and just watched across the field. I mean, the entire visiting stands was all purple. Was all yeah. purple. And there was plenty of purple on the home side, too. And then we moved over for the second half uh, to sit on the JMU side. And it was fantastic. And just such a... So many people, I think, like us, who years ago would not have... You know, I'm, this is lucky for me. It's a hometown game. But for most people, this was a trip. And people came to celebrate this team and celebrate these players. Uh, the tailgate... I, I went to Elon two years ago. And there were probably one JMU tailgater for every eight or nine Elon tailgaters. 
the entire tailgate lot was all purple at nine o'clock at nine thirty in the morning on Saturday. Well, and, did you notice Elon a couple times had on they had the ball on offense mm-hmm. and it was like a big third down <laughs> and our defensive players, I think like Kyrie Hawkins, we were pumping the crowd up. You know, they're getting them going. It, it was a virtual home field advantage. Yep. Um, so I don't know how many people were there, but it's it came through on the broadcast. Like oh, you it could did. Hear the fans coming through. You could hear the people cheering for JMU. Some of the pictures are great. And they're to the stands and you don't see a single Elon fan. <laughs> nope. And I, I just I had a great pleasure. We've talked about our friends, the Kozlowskis. Got to tailgate next to them with our buddies Mike and Kristen on the other side, uh, which got me to introduce to Bryce McGinley's dad, who was just the coolest guy, <laughs> the coolest guy <laughs> of the weekend. Um, and that was great. But then in the stands, a couple generations of Shores got, got to meet this weekend. Uh, Charlotte Duke Club, good turnout from them. Uh, Caitlin, Sarah, Rachel, our buddy Puddin, everybody that we got to root with this weekend was awesome. Finally got to meet the guy who's the uh, Sons of Bridgeforth guy. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, he was really awesome. Um, had a good time talking with him. So it was just a great turnout all the way around. And it was great. You know, after the game, Elon is such a small facility that essentially, I, I think they, I heard that at halftime, Jamie's offense went into the little locker room and the defense actually sort of camped out under a tent outside. <laughs> But after the game, instead of going into the locker room, they sort of stayed out in that tent area. And uh, Ryan... Yeah, it looked looked like they were getting the the trophy in the parking lot. Yeah, it really was. And our buddy Puddin was like, oh, let's go over there. And I was almost embarrassed, right? Like, I don't know if I want to go over there where the team is, you know? Yeah. And we went... And then, of course, all the fans started crowding around, and it was great. And Houston pulled out that shirt uh, that had the three straight championships on it for the team, like... He sort of unveiled the shirt for the team and had the three trophies, uh, 2015, 16, and 17, and said, savage, not average, on the bottom. <laughs> and uh, the players obviously went crazy. And it was just a great scene. And it, it just it's such a reminder of what's so great about college football. And especially at this level, I think you're going to hear Brian McLaughlin talk about this later in the interview. We're just so fortunate to have the kind of access and openness and sort of the inclusive nature of JMU football, you know, just welcoming everybody to, to whatever they can be welcomed at. Um, it was awesome. So I, I just huge props to JMU Nation for the turnout this weekend. I, I hope we'll get hope we'll get more chances to celebrate next month. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, we we will talk about. I guess you know I don't know that any either of us have particular concerns coming out of this game. Uh, I guess as we look ahead, I don't know if you have any concerns going forward, Rob, other than. Well, I, I don't, I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer and, and I don't, I don't intend, it might come across like, I don't intend that to be, this is actually me kind of trying to be positive or looking at the positive side of things like the FCS in general, I think is a lot better this year. Um, last year, I don't know if it was due to maybe my ignorance or arrogance, but like I didn't, approach the playoffs thinking that anybody could beat JMU other than maybe North Dakota State. Right. Um, you know, I was like, you know, it's, you got a clear path and, you know, got New Hampshire and Sam Houston. You know, blah, blah. And then, you know, if we can get by North Dakota State, you know, it's kind of ours. And we've talked about it in the past. Like, neither of us was worried going to Youngstown State. Almost, like, yeah. disrespectfully so. I'm right. looking back. It was just like, it was like, oh, we're going to go with our friends. We're going to go out Friday night. We're going to see them win on Saturday. Like, it just was the team was that good. Um, I think the team is very good this year. I think, you know, has every bit the look of a team that could defend its title, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of teams that could win it in this year's bracket. Um, everybody's kind of saying like, Oh, it's guaranteed. It's JMU and North Dakota state. And it could be, you know, mm-hmm. those are two terrific programs with two really good teams this year. This yep. is not a down year for either program, nope. but there's a lot of good teams in this bracket. Um, and that's exciting as a college football fan. That's exciting. I'm not trying to say, like, oh, boo-hoo, we're not going to win, or I'm not trying to, like, hedge our bets. I, I swear. It's just there's a lot of good football being played. Yeah. Um, and we get to this with Brian. Like, everybody talks about FBS versus SCS, and that's a whole different discussion. But there's a lot of really good games that are going to be played over the next month. Yeah. And there's a lot of really good teams. Um, South Dakota State is very good. Uh, Central Arkansas very good. You know, the, prim- the whole – MVC is good. North Dakota State. Jimmy, yeah. And then you could just get a team get hot Yep. Um, at the right time. So 
I don't feel like it's a foregone conclusion that it's going to be JMU versus North Dakota State. I feel like I'm a little bit of an outlier in that sense. Right. Um, I'm optimistic both teams could get there. So I don't think that's really a concern as much as it is an acknowledgement that this is it's a really tough thing to do uh, to win the championship. Sure. Repeating, that's a whole different element. But um, I don't know. I, I see four or five teams that I could see raising the trophy in Frisco. Yeah, I was thinking that same thing. I mean, I, I think with the exception of Sam Houston State, almost any of the top eight seeds would not be a complete shock. And then, yeah. you know, um, Western Illinois was the essentially the nine seed, um, you know, unseeded, but right there. They, they, they yeah. could have been right there. Right. So you so could swap them. I, I could certainly see any of those eight teams winning the championship. I think this year there's probably only three or four teams that I don't think could win either win one, you know, more than one game. Right. I mean, there's some teams this weekend, I guess you could have an upset in the first weekend, but I don't think they would go beyond that. But outside of that, I mean, there's 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 even teams playing this weekend, just like Youngstown last year, that could easily make a run to the final four or the championship game. So I agree. I think it's as as deep as we've seen in a while and going to be interesting to see. And then that kind of goes. I mean, my concern, I try to stay on the field as much as I was excited about the play calling the way the special teams is coming around, the way the team is getting healthy. I, wor- I just worry, are we, you know, this team has not been clicking the way that we all wanted it to at points this season. And am I getting, you know, am I sort of getting some false hope that they are turning the corner? Am I looking for them to turn the corner more than they actually have? I, I think the thing that keeps me from thinking that's th- the case is at this time last year, while I didn't, I agree with you, Rob, I don't think there was anybody in the tournament outside of North Dakota State that we thought, Oh, JMU can't beat them or would really struggle with them. I also, we didn't exactly know what we had with JMU last year. No, we didn't. Right? I mean, we, we really didn't. Where this year we've been expecting to have what we had against Sam Houston State last year every week. And that's just not going to happen. But the thing that gives me the most hope is that JMU gave up 99 points in 11 games, which is. Yeah. For those of you who don't have to be very good at math, that's nine points a game that they give up. And um, keep in mind, I think what, maybe three of those touchdowns were special teams or turnovers. So at least. Maybe if, four if or five, take, yeah. I think if you factor just the points scored against our defense, it's closer to only seven points a game. Yeah. Um, that is historically great. And you can talk all you want about, like, they weren't padding that with, like, a couple shutouts in the – in the um, out of conference portion, no. that was against some pretty darn good teams, you know. And actually, in the, to, yeah, to, to Elon over the weekend, you know, um, yep. thirteen points to Richmond and None shutting to New down Hampshire. New Hampshire. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's a really good defense, and so you don't need to score 40, 50 points. Um, nope. And even some of those defensive points allowed were short fields against East Carolina and Norfolk State. You know, early in the East Tennessee State, early in the season, or, or garbage time. William and Mary, right. essentially garbage time. Garbage time stuff. Off, right. Half. So I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect JMU to maintain a nine-point average in the playoffs, but you know, if you're talking about fifteen to seventeen points, I like my chances that JMU is going to exceed that number of points every time out if they can continue on this track. So it's going to be great to see if we get the chance to see offenses like Southern Utah or South Dakota State at Bridgeforth. It's going to be a whole lot of fun to watch as a fan. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's it's it's some potentially really good matchups, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know, you know, see see how good this team really is. That's right. So we are happy to bring you our interview with Brian McLaughlin from Hero Sports now. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy it. We know we enjoyed talking with Brian, and we'll be hopefully hoping to see him again at some point before this season is over. But enjoy the interview. Welcome back, everybody. Rob and I are thrilled to welcome a national guest to the podcast tonight. Um, a true, probably the truest expert in national FCS football, and by far maybe the the writer, the national writer, and the website Hero Sports that have done the most to amplify the reach of FCS the last few years. We are thrilled to welcome Brian McLaughlin. Uh, welcome, Brian. Ah, thanks, Rob Todd. I appreciate being on. You guys um, definitely have one of the best uh, fan blogs, you know, in the country. 
we we do interact with a lot of them actually. So uh, kudos on what you guys do because I know you're feeding the beast with your um, with your fans and uh, and uh, you know I, I can tell from being there for game day weekend that. There's some serious passion on that campus, you know, and with yeah. the alumni. So. You're down in Pilot, right? That's a that's a whole different animal down there. It was. The animal is a good word for it, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, on a personal note, I, I'm so thrilled. I got a, the chance to meet Brian um, on the field after Frisco last year. Right. Um, after the game. And that was a thrill. And so we were, he's, um, you know, in some ways, a, both a friend and a colleague, if you will. And Absolutely. We're, we're glad to have him. Um, Brian, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you first before we get to let you plug your own stuff? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, um, Herosports.com is our landing spot URL, I guess you could say. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like super brief on this, we rebranded from the Bennett rank, uh, which was just a ranking algorithm system that we, uh, kind of kicked things off with about two or three years ago and rebranded in 2015 in the summer. Uh, and I took the FCS beat on that fall, and uh, it's kind of grown from there. We've begun the network with some schools in the NCAA, and uh, this year we we t- test drove a whole setup with James Madison. You know, we had gotten such good response from JMU fans last year with the title run, and and just the athletic program being so open minded, <laughs> and Mike Houston being so cool about. Working, you know, letting us work with his players, trusting us. That uh-huh. uh, it, that's kind of what bred what we've been doing. That's awesome. We know you've, um, Brian. For those that don't know, Brian also does uh, Hero Sports does an FCS podcast. Yes. So that I think is a weekly show as well. Uh, yeah, yep. it, it can be at times. I mean, we, it's not every <laughs> week, but uh, we do a lot of radio shows, and sometimes we kind of let the radio show with uh, like Dave Thomas or, or Keith Break at North Carolina State kind of. We are national talk, you know, so, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but we do a lot of podcasting for sure. That's great. And they've had, if you guys want to look up the FCS podcast, they've had a bunch of JMU players and coaches on this yeah. season, especially in the last five or six weeks. So go yeah, back and check definitely. those out. Um, lots of talk about Aaron Stinney on there. So it's awesome. Yeah, good yeah. Stinney. Yep. Yeah. So Rob, you want to jump in here? Yeah, well, let's just, obviously the, the big story um, is the bracket coming out. Uh, we'd just like to get your thoughts on, kind of the biggest um, snubs or surprises and kind of your overall um, perspective on this bracket? Yeah, I felt like there were three major snubs. And um, I did get the chance to talk to two of the coaches yesterday. And um, Coach Rocco uh, couldn't talk yesterday, but said he would talk today. Um, Eastern Washington, I think, was the biggest one. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they started out the year kind of rough, but, you know, they played North Dakota State. They played Texas Tech and um, they scheduled Fordham, which has been a good team out of the Patriot League yeah, sure. over the last few years, you know, and Chase Edmonds is up there, and they thought mm-hmm. uh, they'd be playing Chase and, and maybe a nine-win Patriot team. And uh, so I talked to Coach Best after they got snubbed, and he was livid, mm-hmm. absolutely pissed. <laughs> and so – and I don't blame him. He, he's right. And there's so many teams that got in ahead of them that are head-scratchers. Um, Nickel State. You know, uh, which one? <laughs> Nichols and Monmouth and oh, well, New, ha- New Hampshire. Had, yep, New Hampshire and um, the other one. Uh, gosh, why am I drawing a blank right now? They yeah. were the big three. But, uh, uh, yeah, it, it just – I think uh, Northern Arizona was one that, oh, that yeah. I think Eastern Washington kind of questioned as far as a uh, big sky. And it was the same thing with Rocco, you know, at Delaware. Mm-hmm. I thought Del- – now, Delaware laid an egg Saturday – Sure. But so New well, Hampshire, know, but, and New Hampshire but, got a pass. But New Hampshire laid a bigger egg yeah. and got in, and Rocco was on fire about that with his <laughs> local media who showed up for the selection show. I thought Blue Hens was going to get in, and I still think they're going to grow and become you know something special next year. Then there's Austin P and Will. Coach Healy, we've been talking to him since they broke the losing streak, and they're the coolest story in the FCS this year as far as kind of Cinderella team, whatever you want to call it. And, um Big time. You know, he he tried to keep it uh, not so pissed off sounding, but he was pissed. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you could tell. He's uh, got a gripe. I mean, they they played a tough schedule. Um, they did for, for a team that hadn't done anything over the past couple of years. Yeah. Played three FBS teams. Um, they could have maybe scheduled some pansies and padded the wins, but 
I don't know. I, I thought they had a legit gripe. Uh, CAA loyalties aside, I didn't think New Hampshire had any business getting a bid. No, no I, I, I think, it, it, you know, the, the whole thing was kind of like, I felt like when I finished watching the selection show, I'm thinking, okay, the message to teams is load up on cream puffs, man. Yeah. Right. And, and, and Aaron Best, the coach at Eastern Washington, I asked him, I'm like, so are you going to start doing that? He goes, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> Go. Good. We're gonna. We're. You know what? We we want to find out who we are. We don't want to be a nine or ten win team and schedule down. We want to play North Dakota State and see are we anywhere near them? Mm-hmm. What do we need to do? Um, we want to play Texas Tech and get our kids in front of the Big Twelve. You know. So and and Austin Peay's the same way. I mean, mm-hmm. the first thing Will said, he's go. Look, we may not play three in the future, um, but that was a that was a schedule weird thing with UCF having lost games to the Hurricane. Yeah. So they were looking for opponents, and they it, they treated it like a bowl game. It was kind of cool. Yeah, but the you know he's like, what we will do at Austin P from now on is we're going to go for an SEC team. You know, we're gonna we're gonna use that in recruiting. We'll tell the kids, hey, if you come here. You may not have been recruited by Georgia or LSU, but you're going to get to play in their stadium. We're going to take a shot at them. And, and, and of course, they make money. They make a million bucks from that, and it helps with the small school. So it's a, kind of a win-win. And then they're going to seek good FCS teams. You know, they want to – like one thing Will said is from now on, he learned his lesson. That's one thing he said. He's like, well, I've learned how to schedule from now on. We'll go play somebody in the SOCON. Yeah. yeah, we'll play another. You know, we'll play Wofford. We'll play Furman. We'll play teams that we can play with, but are good, maybe playoff teams. And and uh, he goes because the message that was sent to me this weekend is that, you know, the committee doesn't know how to compare FBS teams, so they're just not going to look at us. Right. And uh, so that, yeah, it was, it was, I I was banging my head against the wall yesterday when they announced the brackets. I just couldn't see it. Yeah. One other oddity, and, and we'll leave the. Uh... We won't make you touch on the fact that New Hampshire's AD was on the selection committee, yeah. um, but but they're you know they've been so focused on the regionalization the last few years, and they seem right. to have actually done a better job this year, at least in terms of the Valley, um, who's had I think a legitimate gripe some of the past few years in terms of all their teams ending up on the same side of the bracket, right. and they they got spaced around really well this time, um, mm-hmm. maybe much to JMU fans' chagrin, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> yep. But they seem to mess up another regional issue in this first round coming up with Elon and Furman having a rematch of a regular season game and Kennesaw State and Samford having a rematch of a regular season game, both of which seemed if they just switched those four teams around, they could have avoided that. Like, yeah. I, I didn't quite – I mean, they, and they would all seem seemingly – I don't know exactly where Samford and Kennesaw are located, but seemingly certainly be within the, the mileage restrictions to avoid oh, yeah. those kind of rematches. Oh yeah, yeah. No, the, no. I um, you know, K- yeah. Kennesaw's in the middle of Georgia, and Sanford's in the middle of Alabama. So they mm-hmm. are close, right? And then you, you know, you, you guys know Elon and Furman is in Greenville, South sure. Carolina. So, I mean, those are probably a little closer yeah. to each other. But yeah, the four hundred mile rule that they talk about those. I, I mean, maybe I, I don't even think Elon to Sanford would stretch the four hundred mile rule. It might be like right on the edge. But yeah, I, I didn't quite get that. Uh, but I think it probably probably came down to the bids which right. i will admit i am not privy to that who bid what and threw them you know the strongest bid out there and but it appears that that's what we saw there that kennesaw and uh elon must have just thrown in better bids mm-hmm. yeah crazy yeah so that's that's yeah. probably how it works so brian what's the game this in this first round is there a game this coming weekend that you're most looking forward to um i'll I'll, I'll cop out and say three of them. Okay. <laughs> and it actually, no problem. two of them are the ones that you guys just mentioned. I really think, you know, those are rematches. But one of the cool things about it is they, are, they were great games in the regular season. I mean, they were very close. Mm-hmm. You know, Elon beat Furman. Sanford is the only team that beat Kennesaw. You know, mm-hmm. they're 10-1. But the, both those games were within a touchdown. So, you know, even though it's kind of like, oh, man, we're doing this repeat, um, <laughs> at least they're good games. They're going to be great games, both yeah. of those. And um, and they mo- they both might reverse off of what happened in the regular season because I think Elon is slightly sliding and I think Furman's been playing better ball the last two months even though sure. they lost this weekend. Um, those those two are big. The only other one that I really think is in play 
is uh, Western Illinois going to Weber State? Oh my gosh! Uh, congratulations, Weber State. Have fun with that. Right. Yeah. You know, and that is I in, mean, if I'm not mistaken, that's in JMU's court quarter that of is. the bracket, right? Yeah, so. that is correct. Yeah, yeah. you guys, um, depending on. See, Western Illinois would have to go to Utah two weeks in a row. Go figure that. Talking about <laughs> geography, um, and then if they if Western Illinois survived that, they would go to JMU in the quarters, and that will be a hell of a game. That right. would be a great game. Western <laughs> Illinois is legit. Um, the Utah teams are good too. Don't get me wrong. Southern Utah especially could uh, actually Weber could I mean, Weber could beat Western Illinois too. They play the best defense in the Big Sky, and then Southern Utah. Uh, is the Big Sky champ and, and has had a hell of a year. So that's a really good group of programs right there. There's no patsies in that that group at all. Right. Um, so those – but as far as first-round games, the two rematches and Western Illinois Weber, I think, are, are going to be really good kind of pick em type games. The other five, I think, have the potential to be blowouts. <laughs> yeah, and that's – the game that most JMU fans are, are focused on, obviously, is Lehigh Stony Brook with the winner yeah. to JMU. Um, Stony Brook's a conference mate. They didn't match up due to the unbalanced schedule this year. Right. And Lehigh has been on JMU's schedule in the past, but not this year. Appears to be kind of the beneficiary of, of winning a, a kind of down Patriot League. Yeah. What What should we expect from this game? Is it going to be just a Stony Brook blowout like we're all expecting? I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be as bad as what New Hampshire did to Lehigh last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Le- Lehigh, you know, to their defense, they played – uh, they started off, and I, I was scratching my head. I really thought they were going to be like a nine and two team again. But um, you know, they played Yale, which is turns out to be the best Ivy League or sure. best Yale yeah. Ivy League team in thirty seven years. That turned out to be a, a really tough game. They played some tough teams outside of the Patriot League, and then when they got in the Patriot, they they owned them. And you know, they can whip the ball around. They've got some receivers, uh, you know, Casey and Pelletier get being thrown to by a. Right, Brad Mays. Mm-hmm. That uh, who knows, but you know, with Stony Brook, I, I have a hard time believing that it'll get into like a massive shootout. You know, because Stony Brook plays pretty good defense. Mm-hmm. You know, especially against the run. But I don't know. That one might be kind of interesting, but I don't think it's going to be very interesting in week two when they go to Harrisonburg. I, I just can't see that being all that great a game. Oh, we love to hear well, that. Yeah, we hope not. <laughs> you sound better than you sound more confident than we do. <laughs> No, I, I think that I think JMU deserves. Uh, they have earned a game like that for the second round. Now quarters and semis. Yeah, I'm talking about a whole different situation. But the, that second round game. I mean, be be glad that it's not a Western Illinois Weber because those two teams would be a challenge. Though I mean, I think JMU right. comes out, but they they could they could put some. They make it interesting, you know. Yep. So, so last kind of um, criticism question of the bracket. Did, mm-hmm. did the Southland Conference really get two seeds? Uh, man, <laughs> that's just... Uh, I know, I know, you can't. <laughs> I just, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, uh, UCA has earned it. I mean, the only, right. the only thing, the only blemish with them is losing to Bill Snyder in Kansas State. And that's not and, a blemish. Uh, yeah, yeah that's, that, that's to be expected. Um, sure. Sam Houston State is the problem. And, and uh, I, I had Western Illinois as an eight seed, and I do firmly believe that they deserve to have a seed. And I had Sam Houston, who was kind of my nine team. I mean, right. I could see an argument for Sam maybe being in that eight spot where Western Illinois is, sure. but there is no way Sam Houston is the sixth seed ahead of two conference champs. That I, was no way. Wofford and Southern Utah, I think, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they were down by, what, 17 or 20 points going into the fourth against UCA, and they got some garbage – touchdowns to make it look a little better. I think it ended up being like a 13-point game, but um, UCA owned them. And now Sam, the one win that that and Sam is like an enigma sometimes, but right. uh, they hammered Nichols. The week after Nichols had Texas A&M 14-14 in the fourth quarter. And I remember looking at that score going, okay, maybe Sam Houston is legit, but then they uh, when they play the inferior competition, sometimes they'll come away with a ten point win, and I'm like, last year you were winning this by sixty, right? So I just don't know what to make of them, uh, and I don't think they deserve the seed at all, especially not a six seed. Maybe, maybe an argument for eight. Okay, yeah. yeah. 
So what do you think in, with the top teams? Who do you think has the, uh, the best road to Frisco? The best – oh, I think uh, – you mean top two or top four? Top, probably top four or five. Top, top – yeah, top four, like the um, contenders. Who'd... Well, I kind of – I like North Dakota State's road. I mean, I think it sets up nicely for them. I mean, you know, Northern Arizona shouldn't even be in the playoffs, argu- arguably. I mean, I think there, there may be an argument for them. Um, you know, Furman de- definitely deserves to be in the playoffs, but uh, going to the Fargo Dome, I, I think that's a pretty much a foregone conclusion. I mean, yeah. Jacksonville State – we saw what happened two years ago in the national title game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and JSU, you know, that last year they lost to Youngstown. So at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you kind of you kind of go, well, I mean, Jacksonville State plays legitimate defense. They have incredible athletes. They get a lot of transfers from SEC schools. Um, but they can't move the ball pa- aside from Rock Thomas, who started off at Auburn. Uh, they really have a problem in the passing game now. You know now they don't have Eli Jenkins anymore, who was legit. Um, so it just looks to me like NDSU kind of has an easier route mm-hmm. uh, than JMU because JMU to me is going to face Western Illinois and South Dakota State in succession, and and that <laughs> those are those are going to be challenging games for JMU. Not because there's any problem with JMU; it's just that those two teams are very good and. Uh, you know, I think if NDSU is facing those two, you know, that, that you'd say the same thing about how tough their road is. So, Well, it uh, is exciting. As, as difficult as that road is, I think it's got to be somewhat exciting, at least for us as JMU fans. You know, we've been yeah. com- complaining for years about, you know, JMU plays an FBS game every year, and it's been a long time. I mean, it's really been since 2008 playing App State that JMU's had a marquee sort of out-of-conference regular season game. Mm-hmm. And I think JMU fans have com- off and on complained about that. And it would be – it's really exciting to think about whether it's Western or Southern Utah or – and then obviously South Dakota State. It would be pretty mm-hmm. awesome, pretty awesome mm-hmm. to have that as a home game. Mm-hmm. Bring in these teams we don't get to see all the time. Well, so. it, it, that South Dakota State game, should that happen, I mean, <laughs> you've got the number one FCS NFL prospect coming to town. Yeah. Uh, in Dallas Goddard, who is the one-handed catching bandit. You know? See the tight end? He's yeah. the tight end. He's also yeah. a lot of people like him as the number one tight end, period. Yeah. And and floating into the first round. And Dallas, Dallas is a great kid. So is Jake Winicky, the um the receiver they have. Jake's been a little off this year, but both of them are gonna get drafted. Taryn Christian is is a great quarterback. So their offense is good. And they finally like in the preseason, I was thinking these guys are sick, but they didn't really start out that way, but now they're playing that way. They're really playing well. Uh, and on defense, they've got guys like uh, Christian Roseboom, the sophomore who could have, I think, should have been the Jerry Rice freshman last year for the award. Um, he's a badass at um, linebacker. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that's gonna, that, that'll be a, an outstanding game if that happens. Well, they kind of um, remind me a little bit of last year's JMU team. Yeah, um, yeah. The way they're, they're getting better and better as the season goes on and yeah. that's just that's a scary team from the opponent's perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And um they can play physical ball. Uh they I would never call South Dakota State a, a finesse team um <laughs> no. at all. They they're tough and they're well coached. I mean, Steeg's the man. Great great guy. So, um those are you know, I love the Western Illinois potential and I love the the SDSU potential from an outsider standpoint like mine, because those are just really quality games. I mean, those are teams that could beat several P5 teams, you know, good right. programs. So. so what do you, what do you think, Brian? What's the, uh, what's your final four prediction looking at the bracket? Uh, we just released at five o'clock okay. and uh, I, you know, I, in the preseason, I thought JMU and DSU, uh, obviously that has not wavered at all. Um, and South Dakota state, if somebody had said, all right, uh, you know, who do you think's in the who's, – who's number three? I would have said South Dakota State in the preseason. Now, mm-hmm. back in early October, I would have told you another team. Because okay. South Dakota State just wasn't perform- performing. But now I think they're clearly a Final Four team. And, and, and Jacksonville State, I think maybe one of the most interesting quarterfinal games will be Jacksonville State playing, in my estimation, a uh, South Dakota Coyotes team. Yeah. That, was... th- that one could be interesting because – Chris Streveler, you know, former Minnesota quarterback, is killing it and might be your Walter Payton Award winner when it's all said and done. And I think USD is about to 
slice and dice Southland competition and get to JSU. <laughs> That's what and I was going to say. Uh, maybe yeah. It, yeah, a lot of people were picking that on our staff, mm-hmm. and, and we didn't even discuss that. But, like, all the guys were like, man, I wouldn't want to be Sam Houston and, and Nichols those first two weeks because South Dakota is way better than people realize. Everybody's thinking, ah, oh, they lost four of their last five. Look, look at who they lost look at, yeah. and look that, at the score differential, yeah. you know? Oh, they were right there every game. Yeah. And, and JMU fans owe, owe, owe a big debt of gratitude to South Dakota this year. Yeah. Um, the boys from Vermilion, South Dakota, are the ones who beat Youngstown State, uh, which would have potentially kept JMU from hosting game day yeah. back in October. Um, that was the week before. So I yeah. guess on some, way, on some level we'll be rooting for South Dakota to hammer those Southland teams. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, Brian, one sort of off the radar note from today, uh, mm-hmm. Montana fired their coach. Yes. Um, you know, there's been a lot, obviously this is the time of year when, you know, coaching carousel gets going. Uh, Montana was pretty much in the running until Saturday. Yeah. And they, they lost were. the brawl of the wild to Montana state. Right. Um, it, I, I mean, was that a surprise? I mean, I don't think we've seen coaches go from losing teams and, and struggling programs elsewhere, but was that a surprise to see Montana? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a year early. I, I mean, if it, if the if the mediocrity had continued another year, uh, okay. But I can tell you from from covering recruiting, they were killing it with recruiting the last two years. Mm. And and you know, look, losing the MSU two years in a row is going to tick off the the alumni base, and I get that. Uh, that's a big game. My uncle, my uncle was a Montana State professor, so he's <laughs> told me about this for twenty years. And, <laughs> And uh, I've, I've sat in their stadium before. I mean, it, it's big. You know, it's a big one. But, sure. uh, you know, it, it's, it's a great guy. kind of hate to see it. Uh, how about give him one more year with, with the classes he was putting together? It's not like he was going one and nine. Um, if they win MSU, they're eight and three. And they're, they're definitely in. And they would have been hosting the game for Saturday. Uh, that's how close they were. And they had a winning record last year, too. And then, you know, the year before that, they beat NDSU. You know, right. Brady Gustafson. I mean, um, I w- looking at it, I would have been like, "How about a one more year? Just one more year? Make it kind of known." But that, yeah, that was a that was a surprise. <laughs> so, Brian, one a uh, couple Frisco related questions. Um, yeah, not not that we're getting ahead of ourselves, but um, any <laughs> idea, any idea if the stadium construction is completed? You know, um, I'm a big soccer fan too, and, okay, I, yeah. and I do kind of follow MLS a little, and I noticed that. Uh, FC Dallas's um, end zone seats are complete. I don't think the Hall of Fame part of that is, you know, the Soccer Hall of Fame is going to be in that end zone. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's completed, but that doesn't matter. The seats are, are there, but I've noticed they don't put people in them yet. So I don't know, you know, it's November. And of course, FC Dallas finished their season in October. Um, I don't know if it's exactly ready for January, but you know what? It better be with right. these two teams. <laughs> I mean, um, if they've got the seats available, my guess is they will make them available. Um, and, you know, they, the construction project was always said, it had always said that the seating situation would be completed by winter of 2018. The problem is we all know winter is uh, kind of, you know, several months. So what month are we talking about? Right. You know, um, does that mean your goal is to be ready by the national title game and the bowl games that get played there? I mean, I hope because if you get NDSU and JMU in the same game, (laughs) they're going to need more seats. There's going to be a lot of people tailgating outside during the game. You know, it's going to be a zoo. Nothing like last year where Youngstown just didn't represent, you know. Yeah, that was kind of our last thought was uh, if we do get a bison dukes matchup down there i i was wondering what your thinking would be you know we obviously haven't experienced ndsu in frisco yeah so um was wondering what you thought uh, how that weekend would be well they they um they buy those tickets early up there because they anticipate and i'm sure your fans did it too (laughs) um and and rightfully so i i just I think there's going to be a lot of people there that aren't going to have a ticket. And it's a travesty with a game like this because, you know, some people joke, why don't you move it to SMU? Why don't you move it to Jerry World or something? And, you, you know, you can't do that. But 20, you know, the 22,000 is not going to contain this. This, <laughs> this, is a, this is a potential 30, 35, 40,000 
you know, seat type situation here. And, and on top of that, think of the local interest in a game of that magnitude. I mean, you, you'll get locals too. Um, it, it, I don't know, man, bring in some temporary bleachers or, or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Scaffolding or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Yeah. We, we got a, uh, we, we tweeted something out yesterday after the brackets about how that obviously with NDSU getting the two seed, it was possible, you know, that that could be a crazy weekend. And of course oh, yeah. the, the Frisco chamber of commerce wrote back to <laughs> tweeted back at us like, we'll get ready. We'll stock the bars early. Yeah. Oh man! Can yeah. you imagine the tailgating crowd? I mean, <laughs> I mean, what I couldn't believe walking out of the hotel last year—you know—we're walking through the JMU crowd, and I—I I didn't meet too many Youngstown tailgaters, but by goodness gracious, it was like uh, what seven thirty in the morning, and we're making our way to the stadium, and and everybody's already rocking, you know. And it was—remember how cold it was? Freezing. Oh, it was freezing. And, uh, can you? And uh, you got to take that and multiply it by two now because. You know, J- uh, you know, YSU really didn't represent, uh, but NDSU will. Oh, yeah. Good luck with parking and the whole <laughs> bit, but that's the way it should be. That's you know? right. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it'll be that. That would be a really cool game if it happens, um, and I think there's a really strong potential of that. So, we love to hear that. Bro- Rob, you got anything else there? No, just once again, thanks a lot, Brian. Really appreciate you coming on, and uh, really appreciate all the great coverage of FCS you and, and Hero Sports provides. Well, we appreciate the fact that, it, it, you know, some schools just really embrace what we're trying to do, which is, um, you know, we look at the FCS level and it, to me, collectively, we're talking about, I don't know, like a, like an Alabama fan base or, or even two or three, you know, if you, you think about how many of these schools, you know, put 20, 25, 28 in, and, and a lot of them bring 15,000 fans and, you add that all up, if they ever kind of walked in one direction as far as uh, where they want to get their coverage, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we really think we, that, that it's something special because we all know mm-hmm. these guys play in the NFL. These are This is not JV football here. If you look yeah. at it, just meet the kids and you'll realize that. This is the real deal Division One football, and it's largely ignored, which is stupid. And, you know, when you have 15 kids to 20 kids every year get drafted, that's almost, an, you know, you're creeping up toward an entire round of FST, uh, FCS players. Right. Um, but on the flip side, it, like we've encountered with the national champions, these programs are approachable. The head coaches are approachable. Um, they are not gods. Uh, at least they don't believe they are gods. Mike Houston doesn't believe he's a god. He's, you know, not Nick Saban. And, uh, some, some fans might think he's a god. Hey, if the, fans, if the fans think it, that's great. It's when the players and the yeah. coaches think it that, you know, when you get the Kiffins in there, when you get the um, – I mean, I covered recruiting for the Sporting News for five years and dealt with five-star recruits, and I got so sick of it. They're so jaded, and so many of them don't even pan out. Um, but you talk to a JMU All-American – those guys don't take anything for granted. Anything. Khalid last year, geez. Yeah. You would never have known that this guy was an all-American running back and what he did to NDSU and the fact that he's, you know, been bopping around with the NFL and, and it just that's what's so cool about this level. So um, you know, thanks, thanks for paying attention to what we're doing. No, we love it. Yeah, man. Love it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brian. We will uh okay. look for all your coverage in the next few weeks. We'll be excited to uh, just sort of kick up kick kick back our feet and watch the playoffs a little bit this weekend instead of being stressed out quite yet. Yeah. But, enjoy uh, some Turkey the whole bit. Yeah. Hopefully we will uh, have a chance to uh, see you on the field the first weekend in January again. All right. And we are back from our interview with Brian McLaughlin of Hero Sports. Thanks again to Brian for all of his help and all of his support over the last couple of years. Uh, good luck to Hero Sports and their playoff coverage coverage you can check out chase kitty who does the jmu coverage for hero sports anytime over on that site and with that we're going to move into overtime i'm going to let rob introduce tonight's ot topic well it is thanksgiving week so we were we had some suggestions to do best thanksgiving sides but todd and i both agreed that would just be the two of us kind of (laughs) 
know, <laughs> writing sonnets to mashed potatoes or mashed or potatoes in general. Um, probably not too compelling. A brother's right. just agreeing with each other. Right. Um, we're going to do something. And we always talk about food. So we got to do something different than food. Um, we're going to do musical guilty pleasures. Um, oh. I guess, what, top three? Yeah, what, top three. It could be a... Songs or artists or things that like, songs, artists that we really like, but we know deep down are really embarrassing or cheesy or, or just not up to the usual high standards of the Jamie sports blog. <laughs> the so, high standards. Yes. Yes. You know, we're very, very um, highbrow. Okay. You can lead off. You want to go? All right. I will. So I will. Um, I, I thought about listing Jimmy Buffett here, but I'm not even embarrassed by that. I'm just going to love Jimmy Buffett from when I was in high school till the day I die. Uh, I think Bob Dylan no less than Bob Dylan has said that Jimmy Buffett is his favorite songwriter. Um, <laughs> so that's not even a joke. Uh, well, I, I did not. I, I would doubt that, but I will I'll trust you. Right. That's shocking. So, so um, but I will not talk about Jimmy Buffett tonight. Um, for my third place, uh, this one, I don't know whether this is embarrassing or not, but I, I think I have been looked at ensconce when this has come up on my iPod. Um, I really do like Lana Del Rey. And oh. <laughs> I know she's like kind of annoying and kind of, yeah, Yeah. hugely (laughs) annoying and like probably completely fake, but I don't know. I I really like some of those songs. So I'm just throwing that out there now. (laughs) Okay. Well, get it off your chest. All right. right, I'm going to go even more um, outside of our demographic and you know, we're, we're, are we middle-aged? We're not really middle-aged. Oh, we? we're middle-aged. We're middle-aged? Well into okay. middle-aged, I think. Yeah. Well, then my, my third, I'll start with a song that is particularly embarrassing since we just said we're middle-aged. I really love Call Me Maybe, <laughs> that Carly Rae Jasmine song. Oh. <laughs> and that's just, I mean, that's really bad. Like, yep. uh, That's just very teeny bopper. Um, it's made for people decades younger than us. It's old. The fact that I'm bringing it up now and it's not like four years old, uh, it's just... If everything that makes me lame is kind of summed up in me talking about. Oh, don't oh, worry, I'm really about to like go. I'm about to go on the same vein here. So okay, well let's, <laughs> let's just let's move on. All right, because because mine was a song, and mine is definitely Miley Cyrus' "Party in the USA." Oh, okay. So I, I got to admit, I said I hated that for years. But I kind I kind of hate love it. Yeah, exactly, and and I feel like you know Rob and I and both... I kind of like the slowed down country version. I <laughs> okay, now we're off. To I rails. know too much. Yeah. I yeah. know too much. No, and I actually feel like this is one of those, you know, Rob and I both have almost inappropriate love for the movie Almost Famous. Yes. Um, and when somebody else makes an Almost Famous like 30 years from now, looking back to now, I feel like that's the song on the bus or the flying car or something someday <laughs> that the people are going to start singing along to, right? <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> So, anyways, um, they'll be nursing somebody, back, somebody doing Molly versus a guy coming down from that trip. But yeah, so unapologetic hey, about Miley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go. This one's really bad. Maybe not. Call me maybe. Call me maybe bad. But um, I kind of have a soft spot for Blink 182. No. And I know this is this is like the barstool sports of music. Yes. It's such a least common tell me 21 pilots next. Oh. oh, it's just so they're just, I mean, whatever they can hardly even play their music. It's just totally broed out. Like guys older than us playing to like teenage malls, but I don't know. There's just something kind of, and I know it's sophomoric and terrible and it's not great <laughs> music and it's misogynistic and it's just, there's nothing good about it, Right. but I kind of like me some cheesy pop punk at times. Uh, so, Gotcha. We should have done different po- topic. This yeah, bad. it's all right. We're, we're giving away too much here. <laughs> we are. Yeah, be, because mine, you know, I have a soft spot for country music. And um, my, mine is definitely Eric Church. So North Carolina's oh. own Eric Church, who, who maybe arguably isn't that embarrassing. But I actually That's just not bad. Like, love the whole catalog pretty much. Yeah, I was so, going to go Brooks and Dunn, but then I realized I'm not embarrassed about Brooks and Dunn. Yeah, I'm not really embarrassed about Brad Paisley either. He's a West Virginia boy. But yeah. As much as I hate too. mainstream country music, I do love Eric Church. So, yeah. yeah. To throw no, that out I'm there. all right. I can get into some bro country every now and again. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently I can too. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, this one, this could go, this could end our friendship. But um, <laughs> I was listening the other day on Sirius XM and something came on the radio and I was really digging it. And I was like, yeah, but I kind of like this. 
I can definitely get into some Hootie and the Blowfish every now and again. Oh, yeah. Of course. Okay, okay. I, yeah. I, be, I didn't know how this was going to go. We went to high school at that time, so, yeah. Well, <laughs> I was. I saw them, what was it? Was the Flood Zone, that club in Richmond? Oh, it, that, like, I Dave think Matthews it might have been. Playing? Yeah, yeah. I saw them, like, my sophomore year at JMU, some guy who I knew who had transferred to JMU from my high school. was like, oh, we got to go check out Hootie and the Blowfish. And I was like, what? And this was before Crack Review hit, and I was like, all right, oh. we drove to Richmond on, like, a Tuesday night, and there were literally 50 people in the bar. And this is I'm, – I'm telling this, like, oh, it's so cool. That's a hoodie, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, it's, right. Acting like it's when Dylan went electric or something. Right. Um, but it's funny because I remember Darius Rucker got up there. He's like, we almost canceled this show because we didn't think anybody would be here. And then after the show, he's hanging out drinking beer, sitting on the – like, literally sitting on a curb. And he was like, this is amazing. You know, we had such a big crowd. And literally a month later, that was the biggest album in the world. So, right. And you couldn't go anywhere without hearing, you know, what they have, like, they sold like 17 million copies. Oh, um, yeah. And, and played like three chords the entire album. But yeah. I don't know, man. That, that guy's got some pipes. And it's not musically complex, but <laughs> maybe it's just nostalgic for me. Those guys are doing anything but... they want with their life right now. Yeah, they yes. just seem to be so genuinely happy and like yes. good dudes, and it's just so it's just such earnest music. Um, yeah. <laughs> whatever, I'll probably get slammed, but I like me some hootie. There you go. And we got through this segment without either one of us mentioning Pat McGee, so that's that's yeah. a that's a win. All right, yeah. <laughs> um, Rob, you want to take us out tonight? No, once again, um, I, I know we we say this every week, but really, thank you everybody for listening. We Seriously. we're really having a lot of fun with this. Um, we're extremely flattered that people are listening at all and um it really means a lot that people seem to be enjoying it reaching out to us so um thanks again thanks to our sponsors at pale fire brewing mm -hmm. um definitely looking forward to a couple couple big parties there post game uh over december but be sure be sure to check us out on the blog don't forget about that jamiesportsblog.com follow us on twitter at jamiesportsblog and um go dukes enjoy the playoffs everyone yep we're gonna have a new t-shirt campaign coming out in december so go dukes